The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to our show today. We have our guest, Caitlin Hebb, with us again today. If you missed it, we actually had Caitlin on previously, and she educated us on what neurologic music therapy is and how it can help with mobility, transfers, day-to-day movement. So it was epic. Definitely tune into that episode if you haven't listened to it yet. Today, we are going to get into more of the specifics, so actual exercises that you can do at home to notice some of these improvements. So Caitlin, thank you so much for being back with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So I just want to remind our listeners a little bit of who you are. Caitlin is a neurologic music therapist fellow and clinical operations manager for MedRhythms Therapy. Caitlin graduated with a degree in music therapy from Berkeley College of Music and received her fellowship from the Academy for Neurologic Music Therapy. Caitlin is responsible for shepherding the continued growth of program development and implementation for each of MedRhythm's clinical programs. Caitlin's clinical work is primarily at Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital, where she works with patients on the traumatic brain injury, stroke, and spinal cord units, and more. So Caitlin, I want to ask you a fun question. I do this with most of my guests where this is just a random question from the interview deck pod deck. So are you ready? Yes. All right. So I'm just going to randomly pick one here. And your question is, what three things would you leave in a time capsule for people to open in 50 years? Oh my goodness. Okay. It's a tough one. This is a hard one. Okay. So I think first and foremost, my brain goes to coffee. If I could go back to Hawaii, I would get this coffee that I had this Kona brand and put it in there and just hope that it lasted that long because (laughs) it was so delicious. I'm a huge coffee drinker. I probably would put some form of a record. I think records have made a comeback, but you know how things fluctuate. And then third one in 50 years, it's hard to imagine what that would be. Maybe I'd put something to do with my love for hiking, like a picture or photo or something like that, because I just love it. And nature is where I want to be. So those are great things to keep you going, you know, coffee. I'm personally not a coffee drinker, but most of the world is. And so Mm -hmm. regardless of what's happening in 50 years, coffee will always be helpful. (laughs) I think, you know, just give you that extra pep in your step. And then you got some music and some memories. I'd love that. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for answering that question. Let's jump right into a very quick review. So if someone hasn't yet listened to our first episode, 
Can you give us a reminder on what neurologic music therapy is and also what results you've seen from working with your clients in this way? Yeah. So a quick recap, neurologic music therapy is a subset or a model of music therapy that really focuses on the neuroscience of music and how music impacts the brain and non-musical functions like walking or upper extremity, lower extremity movement, cognition, and speech and language. And so it's really the therapeutic use of music for those specific domains. And it's based all in neuroscience with standardized interventions that we use in our practice. And what would you say your clients have seen or reported back to you in terms of the benefits from this type of therapy? Yeah, so the benefits really are within three domains, whether that be with movement, speech and language, or cognition. And so we'd focus on things like walking to improve walking outcomes. We could focus on speech and language, and that would be with respiratory strength, vocal control, or it could be with language production. And then in cognition, we'd focus more on attention, memory, or executive functioning even. It's crazy how many parts of our lives can benefit from this type of neurologic music therapy. I feel like everything you just listed is something we need on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, I think that just speaks to the power of music in a sense of how music can really be used in our everyday lives. And it's so accessible that there's just a variety of ways that it can be employed and used to our benefit. Right. So if someone is at home right now and they wanted to do a neurologic music therapy exercise, first question, do you need equipment? Like, do you need a a metronome or something? And then second part to the question, what do we do with that? Yeah. So I think how I would view it is first and foremost, what do you want to work on, right? Do you want to work on movement? Do you want to work on your voice or do you want to work on attention and memory? And so I think that will help kind of guide what type of music, which also helps guide the equipment that you would need for it. So for example, if I was to focus on something like movement, I probably would need something like a metronome. A lot of metronomes, not necessarily the old school metronome that exists, right? The real metronomes, but you could even download something like an application on your phone that simulates a metronome. They even have them online. So you could Google a metronome and find it. So I don't know that you'd need a hard equipment, but having something like that, that will help with movement and time out certain movements that you can pair with something like familiar music that you like. So having a metronome on your phone is really nice because they often have this tap function on the metronome. So you can literally just sit there and tap out the pace that you think would be most effective for movements that you're working on. So if you have an exercise program, or if you are doing something like walking, having that tap function is really helpful. And then from there, you want to be able to find music that actually falls within that range that you're looking for. So even having something like iTunes or Spotify music or whatever it is, just access to music or even YouTube, really, you can go and find the music that would fit best for those types of movements. Now, if it was something like speech and language, it's probably a little less needed of equipment because you could use something like familiar music to sing to. Or you could have a metronome to do rhythmic tongue twisters or something along those lines. So not a ton of equipment, but I could elaborate on some fancy equipment if we wanted to go down that path. 
As you were talking, I just had a flashback. I have a twin sister. And then I also have a sister who's 15 months older. So I refer to as my older sister, but she's barely older. And I can't remember exactly how old we were, maybe middle school age. And she took piano lessons and she had a metronome. And I remember her using that. And then I, of course, would just, you know, play around with it. I was a very active child. So when you said metronome, that's exactly what I'm envisioning. Yeah. And I feel like everything you just said seems so doable for anyone because if you're listening to this podcast, that means that you either have a phone or a computer. Right. And not only that, but it means you probably have access to either Spotify or Apple, like iTunes type of thing or Google Music. So you probably have access to some sort of music as well as an app to be a metronome, or like you said, YouTube would be great too. Mm -hmm. So that's something that anyone could do. Let's say we do have access to some type of metronome and music. What is an exercise or maybe two or three? What are your favorite exercises to give your clients? So that really depends. Our treatment plans are really made kind of based off the individual. So when we meet them, we tend to talk with them about what are their personal goals? What do they want to work on? And from there, we kind of customize the quote unquote playlist or or the metronome or the music that we're using. We're going to customize that to really meet their goals. So I love working on walking. And I think for individuals living with MS, I think it's very important, right? To maintain and increase your exercise. And so for me, if I was picking my favorite, it would probably be something along those lines of isolating muscles and doing an exercise program that really focuses on improving the walking component or maintaining the walking component. And so whether that be rhythmic squats, or it could be other equipment that we tend to use or instruments, because instruments actually give a really great auditory feedback, right? So you have the rhythm that's telling them when to move, but you have instruments that's telling them that they've achieved their goal. And so in that case, exercises could be kicking a tambourine so that you can hear that you're getting the right type of range of motion, or it could be drumming, right? It could be doing upper extremity or even something like the piano, which is a fantastic fine motor task, right? So you could be using some of these quote unquote instruments, or those are real instruments (laughs) to, (laughs) to improve your overall motor goals. So how long does it take to see some of these improvements with physical therapy in the non MS world? We say it takes six to eight weeks of strengthening before you'll actually notice improvements in function. And when it comes to MS and more neurologic based diseases, it's even longer. So what does that time frame look like for neurologic music therapy? So we're still kind of in infancy when it comes to that research of how much and how often kind of that dosage question of really what is going to make the biggest impact. And so I don't know that I have a concrete answer, but I would say some of the literature for walking has been more of like three times a week for at least 12 sessions that you would see results or improvements in certain things like symmetry or balance. And so there is a level of intensity that's actually really important with any program that you're engaging in, but that level of intensity is important to really see the carryover or the effect that it could have. And so I think it probably lines up pretty nicely with some of the exercise research that is out there as well. 
it's really just with music, you often are optimizing the use or the, the exercise program. So using something like rhythm that's helping drive the movement is going to optimize that movement. Or for something like walking with individuals living with MS, it could be an energy efficiency. So maybe it's that you're walking at a more optimal cadence, thus you have the means to go longer or for farther distances. So I have an online MS wellness program called the missing link. And so let's say one of my missing link members sits down and they have a calendar that tells them exactly which exercises to do each day. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, if they sit down with their list of exercises and they do their marching exercise, it's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. If they just play music that they feel goes at a beat that they can lift their leg at. Is that what they would do? They'd play music and march to the beat of that song? Yeah, I think that would be a really good starting place. And I would say ways that you could incorporate music very easily in your everyday exercise routines, right? So hearing a song, marching to the beat of the music. And then I think where clinical mind kicks in is to say, how can we optimize that movement? So if it's really that we want to isolate the quads, then maybe we actually slow the marching down a little bit and they have to increase it or have a hold at the top of it. Or maybe it's that we want to really focus on coordination, so we increase the marching tempo. And so I think there's ways to kind of alter the use or the music itself to enhance certain areas that you're focusing on. I can definitely see how it would be helpful to work with a specialist, you know, work with someone like you, at least at first, because you're mentioning a lot of great words that are very important, like just helping people figure out what their goal is. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of clients who will come to me and they'll say, Dr. Gretchen, my main goal is to improve my walking. Well, as you know, walking is so many things. What about your walking? And we work to try to break it down. So I can see how it'd be helpful to work with someone like you to help break down that goal and also realize how you should be doing the exercises based on that goal. Hmm. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it sounds like is speed the goal or endurance or better balance. So it sounds like there's different strategies for each of those things. Yeah. And I often think that the individuals that I've met that are living with MS are often very good advocates for themselves. And I think that when you're really breaking down your goals and you think about kind of movement, is it strengthening? Is it balance? There's a level of intuition that I think you can use with music that is nice. So I think you can probably tell, like if you sat down and you were to do a marching exercise, you could probably tell that there's some tempos that are just too fast, right? It's just too fast to really march to or, or whatnot. Right. There's also some that you would be like, oh, I shouldn't use a waltz because it feels funky and it's not metered out the same way as a pop song or something like that. Yeah. So I think there's a good way to use your intuition when it comes to music that maybe avoid opera when you're working on movement. <laughs> Whereas, you know, using something like rock and roll or, or pop music that has that more of what we in music terms, two, four, or four, four meter, it's got basically four beats, right? That you can feel nice, strong pulse and just kind of go off your intuition. So I do think it's accessible. I think it's just kind of using that being tuned in a little bit. Right. So one question that I get a lot, and therefore I'm going to ask it to you, is what is the 
best exercise. So I get this question all the time of, let's just say my goal is walking better. Is there a best exercise that I should do? What would you say? I think if you want to improve walking, the my answer is usually then you need to walk more. And the best way to work on walking is through walking. And so I think that that's where my clinical expertise, I can give you the rhythmic source. I can give you the tools that you might need to, to work on that. And, you know, that takes a certain level of skill and training, but I think ultimately at the end of the day that you can take that information with the resources that are provided to you and engage in more walking. That's great. And just as a reminder to everyone listening, I tend to be focusing my questions for Caitlin on walking, but neurologic music therapy actually can help improve with transfers, you know, any type of mobility, doing your activities of daily life at home, chores, all those good things as well. So Caitlin, how important is staying engaged in this therapeutic process? Yeah, I love this question. I think it's super important. I think I often view myself as really a coach, right? I am a neurologic music therapist. I am trained in interventions and how to use them. But I think really the best model is to teach people and and to show them how they can carry that into their everyday lives. Because I can't follow someone around with a guitar or a playlist or (laughs) a metronome and give them feedback all the time. So why not give them the resources they need to really be able to do it themselves? I think that if you are an advocate for yourself and you really take it and make it your own, you're going to see the most amount of improvement. That makes sense. And I'm curious, just after your comment of not being able to follow people around with a guitar, what instruments do you play? Yeah, I do. I reference a guitar. I play the guitar. I'm actually <laughs> primarily a vocalist. So singing was kind of my first love and what I grew up doing. And then as a music therapist, you have to be proficient or competent in the guitar, the piano and percussion as well. Um, I play a little bit of ukulele and I actually played the oboe for quite some time. Wow. So I have, I've dabbled in quite a few instruments, but I'd say voice and guitar are my two, my two favorites. So what is that process like when you're applying for jobs? Do you have to also audition or do they just trust your resume when you say what instruments you play? Yeah, I know you do. You typically, you have to kind of audition in a sense. You have to show that you're proficient in using it, right? Because music is our tool. So if we can't play on our tool, then it makes it really hard to actually lead anything. So yeah, there's a little bit of an audition process. I think most of it is if you've gotten to the point where you're board certified, it's kind of an understood that you're at least competent in these areas. So gotcha. That's so funny. I never thought about that until right now, but that does make sense. Do you mostly do live music in your sessions and or music from your phone or from your computer? It's a bit mixed, honestly. I will say like in clinic, so when I'm at the hospital, I use, I would say 95, 97% is live music. In home or if I'm on teletherapy, which we have recently been doing with COVID, we use recorded music a lot. So whether that be something we've self-recorded or we will use something that's already pre-recorded. So it kind of, it varies. That was just going to be my next question is, do you do teletherapy? So it sounds like you do. Is that something that just started during COVID or was that something that you guys were doing before? 
Yeah. So it's funny. My colleague and I, in 2019, we were like, our mission is access. We want to be able to provide neurologic music therapy on a national, international basis. It's always been kind of our goal. There's not a lot of us. So we, as a company, have really moved towards being able to provide that access. So in like 2019, we were talking and, you know, we said we should really think about telehealth and how we could use that to provide that. And we had set it kind of within our strategic plan for 2020 to use one platform for one domain to then maybe within 2021 launch something bigger. <laughs> And then 2020 <laughs> happened and I think the whole world shifted and now we have a fully customizable telehealth platform that we've been using with patients in California and patients in Egypt and Singapore. And so now we've been everywhere. That's amazing. And I'm going to try to cut myself off after this last question. Cause I feel like I could ask you questions for five more hours. How does it work for music therapists? So for physical therapists, I can only evaluate, diagnose and treat people who live in the same state that I am in. Is that the same for you? So it's a, it's a little different because we don't have licensure and we have licensure in some states. So there are some states that you would have to get be licensed in to be able to practice telehealth. So we just kind of know what states we need to have licensure in if we were to get a client referred in that area. I think during COVID largely that was lifted for the most part, but for music therapists in general, you're board certified. So you could treat someone in a different state. Very interesting. So that means that lots of listeners right now could reach out to you and be your new client. Absolutely. If they were, if they were so compelled. Wow. That's so cool. I'm glad I thought to ask you that question. Well, thank you so much as always, as with the last episode and now this one is so insightful. I learned so much every time we've talked together. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. And if someone does want to find you or the place that you work, how can they reach you and find you? Yeah. So I, again, work for a company called MedRhythms. I work for MedRhythms Therapy. We have our own website. So it's just www.medrhythmstherapy.com. And if you have any specific questions, if it could be helpful for you, you can always send me an email and that's Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N at medrhythmstherapy.com. Awesome. Thank you again, Caitlin, so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Of course. And everyone else, we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.